0: Welcome to the podcast Beyond the Triangle. I'm Amy Beth Horman, and this is episode 18, our first one of the new year, entitled New Beginnings. Happy New Year! Here we are in January, and we are destined for a whole new year of musical experiences. If you are a musician, or the parent of one, you might find yourself talking about resolutions that wrap around your musical lives. For some of us, this could mean new practice routines, new instruments or equipment, maybe a new space to practice in, or a new piece to explore. For others of us, it might mean a new job, or a new teacher. Today, we are going to talk about the business of switching studios, and how to know whether it is time. We are also going to talk really frankly about how to make that switch. Believe it or not, many people will stay in a studio longer than is optimal for their child, and others will leave far too early in search of something that was already there. The truth is, it's tricky. And the thing is, when you are in this situation, It may feel there aren't people who can be truly impartial in helping you make a strong decision as a parent. Your old teacher may be inclined to convince you to stay for a multitude of reasons, and a new teacher, if you've already scouted one out, might be very motivated to help you make a new beginning with them. So how does a parent know what to do and when? As usual, I'm going to give you all of my perspectives on this with a big dose of real talk. As a parent, a teacher, former conservatory student, and for those of you paying attention to recent announcements, a member of the faculty of the SFCM pre-college. In this episode, all of my perspectives are pretty handy, I think, because I've had students come to me from other studios, and I have had students leave my studio, too. Sometimes it's seamless, and sometimes it isn't, but we all play a part. I've also made the decision for Ava to have a second teacher in the last few years, and that was one that kept us up at night for a while, too, but it has turned out beautifully beyond what I thought was possible for her. As a former student myself, I watched my parents make switches for me as I developed, and luckily they did so very carefully. It is my opinion that there are many signs when it is time to make a switch, but there should also be a process which includes a thorough review of things so that you don't end up encountering the same struggles over and over. We all bring something to every relationship, so it's healthy to examine this and take the time to consider our role and how things are going. In addition to that, there are also tried-and-true methods to switching studios that take conversations and thought. And with any luck, you won't damage your current relationship with your teacher, while allowing for a healthy, fresh start in a new studio. I'm going to run down the most common signs I know of that it is time to consider a change, many collected from colleagues. And then I'm going to guide you on how to look at the parent and the students part in this first, before you take any actions. You might be doing swimmingly in a studio, watching your kid score beautifully in adjudications and auditions thriving, and then hit a bump and see one of these signs. This can feel really disconcerting, especially with kids with big dreams in an industry that is so competitive. Once you encounter some of these signs, it is important to recognize them and then to be proactive and thoughtful in your approach. I usually recommend that parents take a month to do this internal review, so to speak, and understand their part in the equation before they make any move in any direction. Once you have reviewed how you are contributing or not, You might have some fresh thoughts as to how to move forward, or even if you should at all. Should you move to a new studio at that point, you can take these observations about yourself, your child, and your family with you, and it will help you make a strong choice for a new instructor. You never need to feel panicked or pressured to make a change, and it hardly ever serves a student if you act too swiftly. If you listened to my episode on your relationship with your private teacher, you know how crucial this relationship is to your child. So proceeding thoughtfully and with transparency is always key. In all of this, you are also modeling for your child, how to transition from one relationship to another with respect and integrity. These are life skills that go way beyond music education. When there is a general sense of needing a change in studio or in a style of teaching, you might see some of these telltale signs I'm about to outline for you. The key is really what you do with them. So I'm going to list them, and then I'm going to take the time to give you some advice on what to do next to take that personal accounting of things. I think it's very important, too, for parents to feel empowered in knowing that they have a huge impact on their child's training even after the beginning and intermediate levels. Okay, so here are some signs you might be ready to move on. Lack of traction. This might feel like you are no longer successfully goal setting together. So you set a goal to learn and perform something in a certain time frame with your teacher's input, and somehow you're just not meeting that goal. Perhaps there's a lack of motivation on either part, student or teacher, Maybe there is not enough planning being put in place to rehearse early enough with piano, or lessons are just not keeping on a schedule. Maybe time management inside of the lessons to get to all of the right materials needs work. Let's look at this carefully to make sure parent and student are doing their part. Are you working in steady communication with your teacher on how to stay on track toward the specific goal? For example, For an orchestra audition where you have excerpts, are you meeting weekly goals for tempi, refinement, mock auditioning, listening? A steady stream of these things can scaffold a child's work so that they feel supported, like they have traction, and are building toward their goal with sub-goals in mind, not just moving from one lesson to the next, but achieving sub-goals along the way. If you are a parent of an ambitious child who's studying multiple works, do you have the music organized in a way that is easy to get through in a lesson? I struggle with this. Do you have sections that need extra help pinpointed or marked so that the teacher can jump in and help in good time? As a teacher, getting through multiple things in one lesson can be very tricky, but one thing that is helpful is to be able to see where the student's trouble zones are up front so we can get right in there and help and time the lesson accordingly. So when a student opens one of their pieces for me to work on with them, and I see spots pinpointed, I can allot more time for that, rather than being surprised by it once we get there. This can really aid us in getting through more things in each lesson. Nobody likes to leave a lesson having not visited something they worked hard on. But only a student or parent knows what is troubling them the most in practice. So, coming to the lesson with that clear in your mind or even written down on the score is very helpful to everyone. Have you asked your teacher how many rehearsals might be needed generally to put this particular piece together? Knowing this upfront can help everyone plan better. You know your family schedule, and if you have a performance or competition date on the calendar, you also need to know approximately how many extra rehearsals it will take you to prepare, especially if said rehearsals are not happening during your lesson time. This is extra time out of your schedule and finances to prepare a piece correctly. And yes, sometimes surprises will happen, Perhaps a piece that has on average taken three rehearsals to accomplish for your child might take five, or maybe you'll get there in two. But teachers will know how hard something is to put together generally. Some violin pieces are very laborsome to rehearse, while others are lighter and more fun. It's very strategic to ask because when you are choosing something labor-intensive, you will need your child to have both the time and the emotional energy to achieve that. If this is also going to land during a period of testing or finals in school, you might find yourself or your kid very unhappy in the midst of it. Meeting goals and feeling traction is crucial in a child staying motivated and happy in their music making. That brings us to the next sign. The next sign you might see that you could be ready for a change is a lack of motivation. This could be on either side, too. I've seen many students who hit a roadblock of being able to self-motivate. They are just in a slump in practice or not feeling inspired to set some goals in motion. Teacher might be providing opportunities and there might be auditions or performance opportunities available, but the student is floundering and interested in other things right now. Perhaps this lines up with their child development, or some of their socializing at school. This happens to the best of students, and also to working musicians who are adults. It also can occur to teachers, who are just burned out or just need to take a breath before launching into another round of things. And not all months need to be loaded up with performance opportunities or special events from teachers. Sometimes a teacher will feel it is necessary to hunker down and get a hold of some fundamentals and strengthen those basics for a while. They will likely articulate this to you, but hopefully this is to stabilize a student for the next musical project that awaits them. So what is the parent or student's part in staying motivated? A teacher can't accomplish keeping a student motivated single-handedly, so this one is rather important. During low points of motivation, a parent should be amping things up with live concerts, adding to the listening at home or even just around the house, and actively looking for some exciting opportunities down the lane with their child. This will spur on some work to be able to participate in, say, a summer camp or a festival. It might sound like this, Hey, this looks fun. You would need to audition to get in, but I bet it would be a blast this summer. What do you say? Should we get started? Also, in times of low motivation, I find it's helpful to set aside some time to connect. When is the last time you sat down one-on-one and talked with your child, who's struggling with motivation, about their music? Ask them, what do you love about it? What brings you joy? What's frustrating these days? What other things are they finding interesting? And maybe there's a way to combine them. Lastly, remember that progress triggers motivation and motivation triggers progress. Want to see your kid motivated to work? You need to get them to work for at least a little bit to see the progress and feel inspiration from it. So try vamping up their workspace Make sure that the tools like metronomes or timers or highlighters and pencils are all in good working order and on display. Help them set up a workstation that inspires them to get to it. Skip practice one day to make their practice area their own in a way that they look forward to getting to every day. And lastly, make sure you're allowing them a schedule which enables them to have the energy and time to practice beautifully. Because if they don't have that, they won't see the progress that motivates them further. Note that all of these things about their practice space, time, and schedule are things teachers have no control over. How about another sign? This one is a big one consistently poor outcomes. What if you are the parent of a very active young musician who is attempting lots of competitions and difficult auditions in your area or beyond? Some are even embarking in national and international competitions really early these days. If you are seeing consistently poor outcomes in some of these, this can be upsetting. And it might mean you need to consider a switch. If you haven't listened to my episodes about competitions, pros and cons, now's a really good time to do it. Turns out, competitions are not always fair. So, if you're judging whether your child should stay in their current studio by competition results, you might be headed down the wrong path. Having said that, if you did your homework before picking your current teacher, you have a pretty good idea of their ability to obtain positive results from adjudicated events. And let's face it, these things lead to performances and musical experiences which are very educational. It should never be about winning or a specific prize. It should be about availing our young artists with educational opportunities. And competitions and auditions can do that. But before you jump ship thinking another teacher has the golden ticket to these things, think about the following... Take a moment for an internal review and ask yourself if you've provided your child the optimal chance for success. This goes way beyond the instruction they are getting once or twice a week. Is their instrument in working order? Think about strings, bow hair, sound post adjustments. Do you need to purchase a better instrument or bow? Also, as competitions become harder, which happens both as kids get older and also as you move from regional to national to international, the preparation needs to become more detailed. Are you helping your child in that transition of difficulty? Are you being proactive in lessons to record notes or videos so that they can recreate the lesson at home to fuel their work? Or are you helping them do that? Often, the results are in the details, and these details are both tactile and literal, so it helps a lot for there to be a digital recording of things so you don't lose them on the way home. Up your game in note-taking or bring a Zoom camera to every lesson. Have your child taking active notes in the lesson and mark things in the score. Are you currently not involved in your child's practice because they've started to work independently? That's terrific, but consider during this month-long internal review stepping in once a week to see how things are going, or maybe twice. Have a hit list from that lesson and ask to see where they are with it, especially if you notice that your child has trouble with the details in their schoolwork or with things involving executive function. You may need to step back in to evaluate and have a better idea about what's actually going on. Lastly, are you hearing the same comments and lessons and having trouble getting past specific issues? These are like roadblocks to results, in my opinion. Help your child make a goal to smash those repeated comments and give them an incentive to encourage some grit in their process. Maybe it's a technical correction about posture or bow position, Or maybe it is a repeated instruction about staying steady or using dynamics. A teacher will be trying to get that across to you repeatedly until it is done. That's their job. Because they know that it is crucial to your success in an audition for you to correct these things. But it's up to the student and the parent, too, to break down those mental blocks that are keeping the child from delivering that progress so that they can get to the next level of playing. These are life skills. You won't see the results you're looking for until you get past the block, and teachers only see your child once or twice a week. On a personal note, with Ava, sometimes it's taken a lot of incentives to achieve this because it's just an aspect of her playing which might not come easily to her or goes against her grain. But these things are all possible. It just takes time. And incentives could mean anything from a ticket to go see set when they come to town or 10 more marbles in her jar. A full jar over here gets an activity treat for the family like ice skating or going to see Mary Poppins at the movies. Or maybe the incentive for your kid is just to make it clear to them that they won't see the result they are seeking in auditions until they fix this. Be clear with them and then see where it takes you. Let's talk about another sign. How about feeling a lack of long-range plan or strategy? Many times in my teaching, I sense that a parent is lacking that long-range plan Sometimes this comes from the amount they are already investing and a growing anxiety about what our trajectory is. As in, where are we going with all of this? Especially as kids get older, they're sacrificing more and more for their music. And surely to do this with confidence, parents like to have a long-range plan. Are we headed toward majoring in music or double majoring? Where are we headed with all of this diligent, beautiful work? A teacher can't read your mind. And so if you're feeling this way, my first advice to you is to ask yourself these questions yourself, where would you like your child to be headed? And where would they like to go with this? Do your homework with your young artist and sit them down and have a heart to heart. Let them know that there are no right or wrong answers and just listen. Then take all of this to the teacher and be willing to ask them for frank advice and listen to it. What are the possibilities? Sometimes in just one conversation, we can establish a really inspiring plan together where trajectory is very clear and we're on the road to something very exciting. That feeling of unease about where we are headed can really stress out parents of young artists. So as soon as you feel it, I would take action. I still remember to this day, my parents coming to me and saying that they had had a heart-to-heart with my teacher, Jody Gatwood. They asked him point blank what my possibilities were as a professional musician. And the answers and the advice that he gave them infused them with confidence. They looked more excited than I had seen them in a very long time. And believe it or not, my practice went up because of that conversation, even though I wasn't there to participate in it. I got no specifics from that meeting, but maybe what I did get was even more important. I felt my parents were more relaxed and more excited about my future. It took some sort of palpable pressure off of me and I felt freer and more motivated to work. On to our next sign that it might be time to consider a studio switch or a change in teacher. Sometimes in my teaching, I encounter parents who start to have a little bit of a lack of faith in the method. They may not even have a background in music, but they put off a vibe that they're doubtful with the practice or preparation I'm prescribing their child. It's a lack of faith in method that the child definitely picks up on. And then there's a general amount of distrust in the room. This is, from most teachers, an absolute deal breaker. Certainly, some children learn differently than others, and it's up to a teacher to adapt their style of teaching somewhat to suit each young musician and meet them at their level. But when it comes to pedagogy, If a teacher is already known to produce consistent results, doubting them is not a good feeling for anyone. At a high level of training, most parents won't fully understand the pedagogy involved, and they're removed from the lessons entirely sometimes, letting children take the reins in their own education. So they may really not understand the teaching philosophies that are being applied, And sometimes the student may not be applying these things correctly either, so the results just won't be there. Remember my episode about mindset and disposition? You're really messing with these if you're a parent that's already doubting the method of the teacher and the children are definitely picking up on it. So if this sounds like you and it's one of your reasons for considering a studio switch, I recommend that you double and triple check those lesson notes and what they are doing in practice techniques from their private lessons. It's incredibly important at the higher levels of training that they be doing things exactly as they are instructed. If a child arrives at a lesson with me, for example, and says that a practice technique has not worked for them, I have them show me what they've been doing, and usually they're modifying what I instructed unknowingly. This hampers the instruction and blocks them from getting the desired progress. So we then go over it exactly how to do it again, and sometimes we record me doing it so that they can have an example at home. This would be another great reason for you to step back in on practice a little bit and in on a lesson or two to observe what's being actually said and instructed and make sure that it carries through correctly at home. Another sign that you might be ready for a studio switch is a feeling of favoritism or exclusion from special opportunities. Often teachers at the higher levels of instruction are accused of favoritism. This is unfortunate because it breeds really awful feelings all around. It can bring about feelings of insecurity in students and a lack of faith in the teacher for parents. This can also ignite a lot of very negative feelings from teachers who often are putting in extra hours for each of their students. Hiking up feelings even higher, high-ranked teachers have access to many opportunities others don't for students, and there's frequently competition within the same studio vying for those chances. If you're starting to feel your child is being passed up at your studio, you definitely have reason to sit down and give it some real thought. I would always recommend parents approach a teacher about this because it will serve to ease your mind about how to move forward or not. Here are some things to consider before approaching your teacher about this. From my teacher perspective, frequently high-performing students are chosen for things in large part because they've earned them, and this should never be overlooked. I may recommend two students for the same opportunity, and then a presenter will make the last call. I have little control over things at that point, but if the same child starts feeling left out, there starts to be a problem. Keep in mind that presenters don't know the terrain of what that child or any of the children in your studio are currently experiencing, whether they've had a negative outcome recently or trying to get back up on their feet, or whether they've been passed up for other opportunities in other ways, through their youth symphonies or maybe at school. So they're vastly unaware of what another setback might cost a child. Generally, what they're looking at is more along the lines of programming and trying to group certain students together or making sure that a program is well-balanced with a variety of ages or periods of music presented. So none of that is personal to your child, but it still feels like a slight. In addition to this, sometimes students are truly not ready for opportunities that are being availed to others in the studio. And they may be friends. It might be that they haven't reached that level of playing yet, or that a teacher believes their energy would be better spent in other ways at this stage in their development. It cannot go unsaid that pushing a child to do something they aren't ready for is a dangerous thing in music too, because there is always the risk for injury in repetitive practice. In selecting my students for masterclass opportunities, I had criteria that sometimes was surprising to parents, but I think also it served to educate them a bit about why I was choosing some students for certain things and not others. I would always ask my master class teacher what age group and level they preferred to teach. This would eliminate some students entirely while highlighting others. I tried to be very clear about this. Also, if I was having someone do a master class who had come before, I had a pretty good idea of their strengths, and I knew who they could serve best and how in front of an audience. And finally, some of our masters had personality traits or a style in their teaching or communication, which I knew would jibe with certain students, but definitely not others. These last items on the list are a little bit more in the gray area, harder to explain to parents and students, but still things that I felt very strongly about. And here's one last thought if you're struggling with feelings of favoritism in your studio. This one's from my perspective as a teacher and now also as a studio parent. It doesn't always pay to meet someone or play for them too soon. They remember, and they serve on juries everywhere. Allow your teacher to be strategic in when they introduce your young artist to someone of vast influence. It isn't just a feather in your resume cap it could be the beginning of a very fruitful relationship that serves them later. Okay, my last sign that it might be time for you to switch teachers is an imbalance between goals and commitment, which is causing friction. As a student develops, and certainly as a child develops, their ability to really commit to the time necessary to play an instrument well can shift. This causes a lot of friction between parent, child, and teacher, and it also can cause some unhappiness. So it might be that a student says they want to be in a concerto competition that requires the whole work, and they're really excited about it when you sign that paper. But then when it comes down to it, they join volleyball and sign up for pit orchestra, and then they're just scrambling to get ready. Meanwhile, the teacher and the parent are looking at each other in a dead heat panic. Once this happens a few times, it does start to erode the relationships involved. You might be in a studio that is very versatile about commitment, accepting students who do music both as a hobby and also competitively with loads of devotion. The problem arises, I think, when these things are not aligning or clear. And it could mean you need to find a studio that is more in line with your child, and what they're actually able to commit to, as opposed to what they wish they could commit to. Or maybe it means a real talk, a conversation between the parent and the teacher and the student, where the imbalance is acknowledged, and a new balance is forged together with acceptance. But as long as that imbalance is there, you will have a very unhappy student who is grasping with themselves— and a teacher who is feeling like they're being asked to be a magician at every lesson. This doesn't bring out the best in anyone. As a teacher, I've had a few students leave my studio because they are simply not finding themselves in a place where they are ready to commit to serious violin training. Luckily, they've been very open with me about it, and I'm always in full support of helping them find another studio that can better suit their needs right now they can always come back later. I know what kind of violent teacher I am, and I don't want them to feel they are disappointing me or themselves on a weekly basis. I want them to love music and to love making it. I just happen to spend my time teaching students who are fully committed because it's what gratifies me the most at this stage in my career. Okay, now let's get to the second part of this episode. If you are a parent who have seen these signs, done your internal work to make sure you're contributing to an optimal situation in your current studio, and you feel it is time to switch, how do you proceed? Well, hopefully if you've done this internal review, so to speak, and spoken to your teacher about your concerns, it has honed your knowledge as to what you feel you really should be looking for in a new teacher or studio. This is so important as a process because otherwise, like any relationship, you might just find yourself on repeat. You know more what you are able to contribute and what you are able to provide for your young artist now in time, energy, and support, because you've taken this time to commit yourself to that process of internal review. You know more about what you feel is lacking from the studio end of things and what you would like to see more of in the future. This is all good. This could be an exciting time, actually, and while one relationship is getting ready to transition, another chapter is getting ready to start. So let's be honest from a teacher's perspective about how things should proceed from here. If you know you would like to look for another studio and you've made that decision, you should not be having trial lessons on the side while studying with your current teacher unless they are aware. I've never met a private teacher who is pleased to discover this, and I think it is a quandary that a lot of parents face in this situation out of concern that there will be a block of time without training." It will serve you really well for a good future relationship with your current teacher if you let them know that you will be stopping lessons and that you are currently going to be exploring other studios. Being transparent is absolutely key here because teachers contact one another when students request trial lessons. Let me repeat that. Teachers contact one another when students request trial lessons. They do this to show respect to one another, and they know that they will likely be colleagues for years or decades, sometimes on the same faculty, while they may only be working with your family for a few years. I don't think that parents think about this, but it would be useful if they did, because if you have not informed your teacher you are doing trial lessons, and then the potential new teacher does it for you, you will be both ending things with a feeling of distrust and also potentially beginning something else on the wrong foot or just an unsteady one. The music world is so small. For the student's sake, so as not to derail their progress and to allow them to feel excited at new journeys, this must be done correctly. Young artists are so sensitive It allows them to play the way they do. They will pick up on everything. So as you notify your current teacher of your wish to change studios, you need to ask them first to help you form an appropriate exit or transition strategy for your child. All students are different, both in their current schedules or things that are still in the works, like competitions or festivals, and also in their temperaments as people. This might shift the plan from student to student. It also allows the teacher to tell you what works for them, as they will need to be filling your slots soon to secure their income for their own families. Many times with virtuosic students, teachers are seeing them multiple times a week. And so the tuition that they gain from those students can be rather large. If those students move on, there is quite a gap in their income unless they fill it. It's likely that your current teacher may suspect that this is in the works already. You've likely spoken to them prior to this with concerns during your period of internal review, so they are aware. They may not agree with you leaving, and trust me, this is okay. Based on their relationship with you so far, they may not be willing to continue lessons with you or prioritize time with you if you are leaving, and this is also going to be okay. They have students who are staying they need to be with right now, and their focus will need to shift to them. If, for example, your current teacher decides that they cannot continue teaching you inside of a transition, understand that a few weeks of non-formal training where you are instead having trial lessons with different teachers will kind of be like having multiple masterclasses. So you won't be lacking training during this period, and there's nothing to be fearful about. I think that sometimes in an effort to avoid that period of no instruction, parents can misstep, and in doing so, it damages a future relationship with that teacher, one that a child really needs. After you have moved on to your new studio and have settled in, Don't forget to still give nods to your prior teacher and to stay in touch. Sometimes I think this is something that gets a little sticky for some, but I continue to think this is the best way for children to keep in contact with their old instructors. After all, they have formed a precious bond with them, one that you'll want to nurture and keep for years to come. As a teacher, I'm still in contact with students that I worked with 20 years ago And the joy that that gives me is immeasurable. So have your child reach out or send a card every once in a while just to touch base and let them know that that teacher was appreciated and is still thought of often. I know that for me personally, I think about my teacher every single day. Don't miss our next episode. It's going to be all about co-teaching. This episode will discuss different viewpoints about co-teaching, as I've been spending a lot of time talking to my colleagues about this. More and more, I'm seeing people assuming that most young artists have multiple teachers. We're gonna discuss whether that's true and with whom you can co-teach and how it might work. I'm looking forward to talking frankly about this. If you are a parent who's been dabbling with the idea of trying co-teaching for your young artists to boost their education, This episode is for you. Don't miss a beat. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and Podbean. If you have a question or a topic you would like to discuss on Beyond the Triangle, my ears are wide open. Write me at beyondthetrianglepodcast at gmail.com and let's connect.